good morning, Dwell Church. I'm excited to be with you today. I don't know. I um, I just really sensed a very strong presence of God during worship today. I thank Paul very much for leading us, and um, I, I feel like God is is stirring a lot in our church community, and I'm really excited to see what happens. I think um, I think there's this desire in our church to see growth. Um, of course, you know, there's always desire, no matter what church you're in, to see growth. But I think, you know, when, when we often think of, we often think of growth as being out or being numerical. But I think before that can happen and before that growth can really be sustained, uh, we have to grow deep. We have to grow really deep roots. And so I think that's something that God is, is, has really been doing in you guys before Josh and I even came. And what God is going to continue to do in us is, is really grow our roots deep so that when Dwell Church begins to grow out and grow numerically and grow up, there is stability and there's support um, in our roots and in our foundation. So I'm really excited just to see what God begins to do in us internally. So this morning, um, on that note, our main text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Josh and I, um, if you received the weekly email this week, or if you are on Facebook or Instagram much, you may have seen an announcement. We've kind of talked about this here and there, but Josh and I are primarily preaching from the lectionary, which is basically kind of a, a, a pre-selected group of texts for each week. Um, there are daily readings as well, um, which I use for my personal reading plan during the week. Um, but there are people that have gone before us, thankfully, that have kind of grouped together this scope and sequence of passages of scripture for the year that really follow the church calendar. And Basically, for every Sunday, there is a group of texts. There's an Old Testament passage, there's a New Testament passage, there's a psalm, and there's um, a, a passage from the gospel. And so what we do, how Josh and I plan our sermons, is every week we study these four passages and really just let the Holy Spirit kind of lead us in, in one direction. Now, there are often times where God will say, no, I don't want you to preach on this, I want you to preach on this. But this is something that really helps us. It, it also takes out the planning for having to plan all of these topics and, and stuff at random, and, and we follow basically the church calendar. The great thing about this is with the scope and sequence that it offers, you really preach through the whole Bible in three years. And so if you want to follow along with us, this is where I'm going with this, we are um, every Monday morning going to be sending out um, the lectionary readings for the coming Sunday. So it's just a real brief email. It has just the, the four texts, and then at the very bottom it has just a, a question for reflection. How does this stand out to you? What do you feel like God is speaking to you through these texts? If you want to receive those in your inbox on Monday mornings, uh, you can go to the Dwell Church Facebook page, and there's a link there, or just let one of us know today, and we'll be glad to add you to that email list. But this morning, our main text is from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse, verses 1 through 9. And I'm just going to go ahead and read this to you, and then we'll break it down. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother, Sosthenes. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. 
He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So for just a little bit of context, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, in a city called Corinth, which is a major metropolitan city in his time. And Paul planted this church on one of his missionary journeys. He planted this church in Corinth. And so he is essentially this spiritual parent or spiritual father of the believers here in Corinth. Now, from the, since the time that he planted this church to the time that he is writing this letter, things have gone awry in Corinth. And the Corinthians are not really adhering to um, the truths that Paul taught. In fact, they really look more like Corinth than they do look like God's people. And not only that, but they are questioning Paul's authority. They're questioning his teaching. And they're really kind of like rebelling against the things that he's taught them to do, um, the, the truths that he's taught them. And so here Paul is writing them. And number one, we see that at the very beginning of this, he says this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. What he's saying is, look, I didn't become an apostle of my own volition. It wasn't my own calling or my own desire to become an apostle, but God appointed me by his own will in order to carry out his purposes. He is the one that, is, that has ordained me and, and appointed me as an apostle. So I'm not writing to you with, the, with my own authority. I'm writing to you with the authority of Christ that he is the one who has called me. And so he, he, in this introduction, what he's doing is he is setting up um, everything that he needs to say for the rest of the letter. And so we're going to kind of explore some of those things. We're not going to talk too much about the issues that are happening in Corinth, um, but, but we're, gonna, we're just going to break down some of the, the really important, powerful things that Paul says here and, and how it relates to us today. But Paul is stressing his calling as an apostle, um, not of his own volition, not of his own appointment, but of God's, of God's will. And in the same way that Paul's, that Paul's calling is to apostleship, he affirms this church's calling to be God's holy people. So here he says, I am an apostle chosen by the will of God. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. You who have been called by God to be his own holy people, just as I have been called to be an apostle, you have been called to be set apart as God's own holy people. Paul's sense of call is based on God's will for his life, God's own appointment. And that is what gives him the confidence to say these things to the Corinthians. That is what gives him the confidence for his calling. And what he's saying is that 
the fact that God has called you to be his own holy people is what also should give you confidence. It's what should give us confidence that we have been called by God to be set apart, to follow him, to reflect Christ to this world. That is what should be our confidence as we minister to those around us, as we worship, as we pray, as we follow in Christ's ways. That is our confidence that God has called us. Not that we've called ourselves, not that any human has called us, but that we have been called by Christ alone. So in this uh, letter to the Corinthians, um, or in, at least in this, there are many themes in this letter, but in this introduction, what we see are three main themes. And the first theme is holiness, and that's really kind of like the overarching theme that we're talking about today is holiness. Now, I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear the word holiness, but for most of my life, it kind of made me cringe a little bit because I am somebody who is a rule breaker. Um, I believe that rules were made for people, not people for rules, and therefore rules are made to be more like suggestions. They're made to be followed when necessary, but most of the time they're made to be broken. And so when somebody tells me to do something, unless I really am on board with the reason for why, I, I don't think that, that it really is something that is essential to my life, okay? If you tell me to follow a rule, I'm not going to follow it just because you tell me to follow it. So I know that for a lot of people like me, now I do have a lot of friends who are rule followers. And for them, they love this concept of what they've often learned in church about holiness because they have this list of things that they're supposed to do and that gives them security and confidence and safety and they love that. I have a friend who's a missionary. She's the one that comes to mind. She's a missionary in Paris. She's a pastor of a church and um, she is a pioneer. She's dynamite. She's a great preacher. I love her. She's one of my great friends. But she loves rules to the point where she gets anxiety and like pit sweats if, if anybody tells her to do anything other than, um, than the rules that she's been given. So we're all, we're all made in God's image. That's fine. Um, but in this, in this letter, at the, in verse 2, Paul says, he has made you holy. He has made you holy. And so this is um, something that is foundational to the life of believers, is that to be holy, which just means to be set apart for a purpose, for God's purpose, to be different, to live holy just means to live differently. It is God's work not our work, that brings about that perfection in us. So there is nothing in the, kingdom, in, in the kingdom of God that is ever achieved or earned. Everything that is given to us is given freely. Salvation, redemption, joy, peace, provision. Everything that God gives to us, he gives freely of his own grace and his own volition, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because he is good and he gives good things to his children. So we're not holy or we're not good or different or set apart because we've earned it or because we've done something or because we've followed the rules. Hallelujah. But it's because of the work that Christ did on the cross for us and nothing else. It is his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection that's brought about forgiveness, that's brought about holiness and righteousness in our lives. 
So again, nothing in God's kingdom is earned or achieved, but he gives freely and he redeems wholly. And while it is him who sets us apart and it's him who makes us different, him who makes us holy, at the same time, he says, now that you are my holy people, you, I have set you apart, but now I call you to reflect my character. Now I call you to follow in my ways. I have made you holy. Yes, it's not anything that you have done to make yourself holy. But now I call you to a better way of life. I call you to live differently than the people around you. And so what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here is, look, you are looking nothing like the people of God. You are looking everything like the people in Corinth, the people that surround you. You're going back to your old ways. You're backsliding. God has made you holy dear Corinthians, but now he calls you to a different way of life. He calls you to follow the standards and the ways of Christ and to reflect his character. In Peter's first letter, he's writing to um, some Christians that have been disenfranchised, and he says, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then than being before they came to faith. But he says, now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Peter's quoting a scripture from the book of Leviticus there, the book of rules, things to do and things not to do. I used to think, why would anybody read that book? Why would you read Leviticus? Um, but, you know, I, a couple of years ago, started reading through Leviticus because I started just reading the book in order from Genesis to, Re to Revelation. Didn't finish in that order. But, um, but as I started reading through Leviticus, I just started reading it slowly, passage by passage. And what I began to realize when I read through this book is that in the, in the ways that they could best understand God was showing the people of Israel in Leviticus how to live differently than the people around them. And by giving them these sometimes simple, sometimes strange, sometimes seemingly harsh rules to follow, it was setting them apart from the people that were around them. And it was a symbol that they belonged to God. It was a symbol that they were different, and he was teaching them in these simple ways how to be more like him. Not just through obeying the rules, but through being different, through living holy. And again, holy living isn't a, a list of do's and don'ts. It's just a way of life that's different. So, Peter in this letter is telling them, don't go back to your old ways. Paul to the Corinthians is telling these people, don't go back to your old ways. You are called to live differently. And then he says, he made you holy just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all people everywhere means the church universal. The global church shares in the inheritance of Christ and we are all called together to bear the name and the witness of Christ, which means that we are all called together to live differently, to live holy. And when we participate, now it is God who makes us holy, it's God who cleanses us, it is God who is our righteousness, but when we participate in that different way of living, 
it is an invitation into a new kind of life. It's an invitation to a life that is free and full, not by obeying rules, but by aligning our lives with Christ. And so then holiness is not a burden to bear, but it is an avenue to a rich and a full life. That's the first theme, holiness. The second theme is spiritual gifts. Paul says, through him or through Christ, God has enriched your church in every way. Now, this is interesting because Paul is writing to discipline and to bring great correction to a church that has totally gone awry. They have a whole host of issues that they're dealing with. But here he's saying God has enriched your church in every way. And we see that there are some other um, letters that Paul writes to different churches where he talks about riches in the kingdom. He talks about, you know, riches in Christ. But this verbiage that he uses here, enriched in every way, this verbiage is unique to the Corinthians. And right before this, he talks about God making us holy and that it is his work, not our work. It is essentially um, the work of the cross, his death and his resurrection that brings about our holiness. And so really, in effect, Paul says to them, it is through Christ's poverty that you are enriched. It is because of his sacrifice that you can live a rich life. It is because of his death and his resurrection and what he suffered that you can have a full and a rich and an enriched life in Christ. So because of Christ's poverty, we are made rich. And these gifts that he talks about, he tells the Corinthians, you've been enriched in every way. You've been given these gifts with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. Now, the Corinthians were enriched with these gifts of words and knowledge, which was appropriate because the Greeks, particularly Greeks in Corinth, had a very high value of rhetoric, debate, and intellectualism. And so for the Corinthians who um, many of the believers were um, uneducated, were not a very rhetorical people. They weren't, they weren't like, like high-class people. Um, God gifted them with these words of knowledge, these, these s- spiritual gifts that use words. And, um, and Paul says this, using your gifts, that brought confirmation to what I told you that what I told you about Christ is true. Let me read this because I just messed that up. He says, with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. So the exercising of their spiritual gifts brought confirmation to Paul's teaching about the truth of the gospel. And this is often what happens when missionaries or evangelists or just believers go into environments um, where people are either unchurched or they are unreached, meaning that they've never heard the gospel before. There's never been a gospel presence there. And they share the gospel there, and they exercise their spiritual gifts. These new believers begin to exercise their spiritual gifts. It brings confirmation to the gospel, and it brings edification of the people, or the the people are encouraged and built up. So spiritual gifts are 
powerful tool and a powerful way to um, to see the gospel really come alive. And so what Paul was saying here is that when you exercise your spiritual gifts, when you use this, when you are faithful to use the tools that God has given you, it brought confirmation that what I told you about Christ is true. So as Christians, each one of us is empowered with gifts, with the gifts that we need to be gifts to the community around us. Whatever the needs of the community are, Christ has already empowered us to meet those needs and to bring confirmation of the gospel, to build up the church and to serve the world around us. And so exercising the gifts that God has given us, this is part of holy living. It's part of living differently. That God has enabled us and empowered us and enriched us with these gifts, with these qualities of him, these practices that Christ also lived, and it brings enrichment to the people around us. And then Paul says, you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly await Christ's return. And so to this group of people who has, in a lot of ways, turned away from the initial teachings of the gospel to the teachings of the truth, Paul is saying, you have everything you need to live an enriched and empowered and full life as you eagerly await Christ's return. Number one, we already have all that we need. Our lives are enriched in every possible way. Even when we mess up, when we sin, when we yell at our neighbor, when we yell at our kids, when we curse in traffic, when we, you know, whatever it is that you may have done this past week, even that thing, you are enriched in every way. You have everything that you need to live a full, enriched, and powerful life. And finally, that last part of that last verse, eagerly await Christ's return. That last theme that we're going to talk about is the day of the Lord. And Paul says, He, Christ, will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a huge theme in all of Scripture, not just New Testament, but also Old Testament, because the world, and particularly Israel, has always awaited the coming of the Messiah. Now, we know that the the Messiah has come already, but we also know that he will come again, that he will come again to establish his kingdom and to restore all things. And so there is this expectation and really this command to be eagerly awaiting the coming of that kingdom, his his return. Many times in the New Testament, it's called Christ's, um, the, the second revelation of Christ is how um, some, of the, some of the New Testament writers um, describe that. But Paul remarkably assures these Corinthians, who are far from blameless, that it's Christ's work, not their own, that will keep them strong and firm as they await Christ's return. And this is great hope for all of us, too, because once again, it's not of our own volition or our, or our own will that we've been called by God, and it's not our works that make us holy. It is God's work alone. And as we eagerly await his coming, as we eagerly await the fulfillment of his promises, the fulfillment of his kingdom, 
the things that he said that he will do, number one, we have everything that we need already. We are enriched in every way. This community is already enriched. And there are things, there are gifts, there are, um, there are, um, there are untapped resources in our own lives that, um, that Christ has already empowered us with, that have yet to be exercised, that have yet to maybe even be made aware to us. Maybe we're even unaware of these gifts that we have, or maybe we are aware of them, but we just have not been exercising them. And lastly, we have assurance of God's faithfulness to do what he has promised. As Paul says at the very end, he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's the key to all of this holy living exercising spiritual gifts, awaiting the day of the Lord or the return of Christ, is that we're not just doing this because we're instructed to, we're told to, but that God has invited us into fellowship and communion with Jesus. Jesus, who is God himself, who came, who lived this life, this blameless life, laid it down for us, took it up again, And we have full access to him. We have everything that we need to be enriched, to be powerful, to reach the world around us. And we do it in partnership with him, not on our own. And so, kind of moving into the applications of this for our own lives, how do we be active as we await the kingdom of God. This is, what, this, is, this is what Paul alludes to when he says, eagerly await the kingdom of God. Be active as you wait for his return. Be active as you work. Be active as you live your life. And so how do we be active as we wait? And not just going to work and, you know, getting up in the morning and brushing your teeth and going, you know, doing all the things that, that you do every day. But truly being active as believers in the kingdom of God, how do we do this? So there are three things I think that the Lord is asking us today to do in order to be active as a community as we wait God's coming. Number one is exercising spiritual gifts by serving the people around us. It is my and Josh's desire as pastors of Dwell Church to be equippers of people. This is something that we love to do, is to just develop people, help people discover what they're good at, help people discover what their calling is, help people discover what their gifts might be. And how do you discover, by the way, what your spiritual gifts are? Um, You know, that's like, gifts are like a big buzzword in in the Christian world, Um, but it's important to know, I think, that, get, that spiritual gifts are tools. They're not who you are. If you think of, um, I, I love this analogy, that if you think of, like, every believer has a tool belt on, okay? And if you think of spiritual gifts as a tool, that the Holy Spirit can drop any tool he wants in your tool belt for any purpose, for any time. And so if there is a need in the community, God will empower us to meet that need. 
whether it's financial, whether it's a word of knowledge or wisdom, whether it's a tongue or an interpretation of that tongue, whether it's generosity or hospitality, whatever it is that the community needs, he will empower us to meet the needs of, of the community, even in the most simple of ways. And so as we, the way that we become aware of and begin to practice our spiritual gifts is to simply, number one, be, be aware of the needs of the people around you and be aware of how you can meet those people's needs. Now, a lot of spiritual gifts are also, um, it, it's, also to, it's also important that the body confirm some spiritual gifts, particularly things like prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues. If you think you're a prophet but nobody else thinks you're a prophet, you're probably not a prophet. Just a reality. So, um, <laughs> got a lot of stories to share about that, but I'll, I'll refrain. Um, so, as God begins to use us in certain ways, and the body or, or the rest of the believers in our community confirm that, or if Josh and I are having a conversation with you, and we identify something in you, and say, man, you, you really have this gift. Or not just Josh and I, but anybody else can see something in you that you might not see in yourself. Um, those are often ways that we become aware of the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Among us also are apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and, and, and pastors and uh, teachers. Those are the roles. Now those, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is talking to the church in, in Ephesus, and he says to them, he says, to each of us is given grace to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And so some of us have been taught over the years, if, if you've been in church for any amount of time, that, um, that those roles are reserved only for the leadership of the church. For those who are leading, maybe the board and elders and the pastors. Um, but I don't agree with that. I believe that every believer in the church is one of these five roles. That we are a community of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. That among us, all of us fit into those roles. And then we all have spiritual gifts to, to contribute and to exercise to serve and to build up the people, the people around us. So these are things that we're going to talk about in the near future. I'm not going to elaborate too much on that right now. But um, number one, exercising spiritual gifts by serving those around us is how we be active and await the kingdom of the coming kingdom of God. What are the needs of the community and how can we contribute? Find a need and meet it. Um, I came across a story this week as I was doing some study and reading that I love. And um, the guy that was telling the story says, in the first century AD, Ephesus was a really pagan city. And the city really um, revolved around the pagan god Artemis. Artemis, right? I think it was Artemis. And there was a temple dedicated to Artemis. And uh, they burned these hot coals all day long to this god Artemis. 
And the community of the city depended upon hot coals in, in order to have warmth in their home, in order to cook and to clean. And in order to get coals to warm their home and to cook their food and to clean their dishes and wash their hands, they had to go to the, to the temple of the god Artemis and get hot coals. But in order to do that, they had to basically give an offering. And so if you think of like this temple, this temple was like the power company, the water company, and the gas company all rolled into one, and they were a monopoly. And so there was nowhere else that you could go to get hot coals, and if you didn't have money to give to the temple, then you didn't get any hot coals, and you were out in the cold, you had no way to cook your food, and you had no way to clean anything in your house. So there were a lot of people in need, and what began to happen was that Christians in, in Ephesus would begin to take hot coals from their own homes and when they saw people in need, they would take them hot coals from their own supply. And it was just a really, I mean, they just saw the need of the community and they met it. And this was them exercising their spiritual gifts. This was them confirming testimonies about Christ because of their generosity and their living differently. This was them living holy, being different than the world around them. And it told the people of Ephesus a couple of things about these Christians. It told them, wow, these people live differently. Why are they, why are they generously and freely giving me what costs them money. It's, it was a big sacrifice and a big testament to these people about the generosity of Christ that they would go out of their way to do this. And it also told them that they were not going to abide, this is where the, the, the rule breaker in me loves this, that they were not going to abide by the rules of the temple that required them to pay money to the God um, that, that really was no God at all, that they would live um, according to the statutes and, and the requirements of their God, who is a generous and a good and a kind God. And so it brought confirmation and it brought many people into the faith because of the generosity of the Christians there. And so the person who told the story asked the question, how are you going to be a fire bearer in your community? What is the fire that you're going to bring to others? Whether it's financial resources, whether it's a word of encouragement or knowledge, whether it's your hospitality or your generosity. If you have a neighbor who's in need of food or babysitting or whatever it might be, what are the needs of the people around you and how are you going to help meet those needs even in the most simple and practical ways? So number one, to be active and await the kingdom of God, we are to exercise spiritual gifts by serving those around us. Number two, we are to be active by making disciples. Um, you're going to hear Josh and I talk about this a lot, probably every week, because this is where we are most passionate, is equipping the church to make disciples. Um, and, and not just to bring people into our community of dwell, but we want to put the ministry of making disciples, which was the final command of Christ to his people before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Teach them all the things that I taught you. Baptize them. 
And so it's, it's our mission and our desire to see you guys reaching out to the people around you and bringing them into the kingdom and mentoring them and teaching them. And this is a process, and I believe this process begins before people even, even come to the faith. It begins with simple conversations. It begins with serving people. It begins with being fire bearers to the community around us. And this is our shared calling that we are to make disciples. And number three, we are to be active by abiding in Christ. This is the most important thing that you can do and will ever do as a believer in Christ is to simply abide. This time of just abiding or really that just means being with or dwelling with Christ. This is where we learn to pray. This is where we learn to hear God's voice. It's where we, we bring our lives into alignment with God's heart. It's how we learn to walk in the spirit and follow in the ways of Christ. And by doing this, by abiding with him, Paul, you can come on up if, if you don't mind. By abiding with Christ, we find that we are enriched in every way, that we already have all that we need to live a holy and a full and a rich life. Now, we understand by reading the rest of Paul's letter to the Corinthians that they had some, they were messed up. They had some issues, big issues. But he encourages them in the beginning. and He says, look, you have everything that you need. You've been enriched in every possible way. You and all you guys are all messed up. You are enriched in every possible way. And that is my encouragement to you. Not that you are incredibly messed up, but that you are enriched in every possible way already because of Christ. Because of what he has done and what he offers his own presence, his righteousness, his holiness, his goodness, his provision. He gives us an invitation into a different way of life, to a full life, a rich life, a life of joy and peace, even when there's suffering in our lives. Even when all we have to give are some noodles or just time or whatever. It doesn't matter what we have to give. That's not why God came. He didn't came because we had something to offer. He came to offer himself, and he still comes and shows up day after day after day to offer himself to us, and he is offering himself to this entire community, to this world, and it is our calling to live differently and to be the fire bearers that will be a testimony to the gospel for people around us. It's Christ who makes us holy, not our great track records or our gifts or how many good deeds that we do. Remembering this helps us to maintain our proper perspective and humility, that it's not us. It's Jesus. He is everything. And if you don't feel that right now, it's okay. You don't have to feel warm and cuddly. You don't have to feel anything. That's the thing about faith is that you don't always feel like you have strong faith. You don't always feel like you want to pray right now or you want to do this or that right now or you don't always want to, you don't feel like you want to live holy. It doesn't matter. 
It doesn't matter what we feel. God is God, and God is going to be who God is no matter what we do or don't do. And that is the beauty of having relationship with someone like him, is that his grace and mercy for our lives is unmerited. It can never be achieved or earned by anything that we do or don't do. And that is hope to the people around us. People are looking for truth. They're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And um, I have lots of friends that I've known for many years who have rejected the gospel, but who are very into tarot cards and astrology and their horoscopes and signs. And they're still looking for answers. They're looking for something. And it's probably not going to be a church service that's going to make an impact on them. It's going to be you. It's going to be conversations that you have because Josh and I don't have access to them, but you do. And so I want us collectively this morning as we respond to what Christ is speaking to us this morning to just ask this simple question of the Lord. Who do you want me to serve this week? It might be a family member or a neighbor or a friend or a mom or dad at your kid's school. But this is what I want us to really ask of the Lord. And, and if you have other needs that you need to pray about this morning, Josh and I and, and the other staff and board are here to pray with you and we're happy to do so. But collectively, I want us to be asking this question of the Lord. Who do you want me to serve this week? And, and let him bring somebody to mind. And it might be somebody that you really don't want to serve. Or it might be someone that you overlooked. But just let God bring that to mind. And then look for opportunities this week to serve people around you. Will you stand with me and pray? Heavenly Father, God, your goodness is overwhelming. God, your scriptures say that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, I'm always overwhelmed by that. How kind you are and gentle you are, even in the correction that you bring. God, would you speak to us this morning and would you minister to us with your kindness? your presence.